You're listening to Rumination Tuesday on Law and Gospel. It's the day we take a look at a hymn, and we're going to be looking at the hymn, O Lord, throughout these 40 days. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me is Pastor Mark Smith. And we're going to take a look at a hymn that was very interesting. Children need hymns that teach and confess the faith in their own language. And it was that conviction that led the Anglican hymn writer, Claudia Francis Hernemann, he died in 1898, to write 150 original hymns and translations from the Latin, primarily for use by children. American Lutheran hymn writer, Gilbert E. Doan, D-O-A-N, wrote, O Lord, throughout these 40 days, as a paraphrase of Hernemann's earlier hymn, with nearly the same first line, Lord, who throughout these 40 days. Both hymns capture the major themes of the season of Lent in language that children can grasp. Lent is a time of repentance for sin and renewal by the grace of Christ through absolution and catechesis. The 40 days of Lent are, of course, patterned after our Lord's 40 day in the wilderness. This hymn is in the form of a prayer to our Savior for repentance and renewal. Each stanza is divided into two parts. The first half addresses our Lord, stating what he has done for us, and the second half petitions him to make his victory ours in a life of repentance and faith. So, unfortunately, Pastor Smith, we're unable to play the hymn. We've uh, got a problem with one of our computers, but we hope to get that fixed by next week. What's your thinking about this hymn, O Lord, throughout these 40 days? It's a good hymn. We are definitely going to use it this coming Sunday as the opening hymn. I just wondered if there were any additional stanzas that we don't know about. That that's that just occurred to me. I just wondered uh, uh, if you knew of any other stanzas, or, or is that it? Four, we've got four standards, uh, four stanzas in our hymnal. Right. That's all that I'm aware of. I'm not aware of any other stanzas. It's too bad. I think it's. I think it's a little short. I you know I don't want to be critical of the hymn writer. I think it's a wonderful hymn, but uh, it's it's almost too bad that he didn't mention a little bit of the temptation itself. Yes, um, he does in the first stanza. Mm-hmm. If yeah, you want to read that, right? Oh Lord, throughout these forty days, you prayed and kept the fast. Inspire repentance for our sin and free us from our past. By keeping the fast, that would be his time in the wilderness, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he starts off with that and explains uh, the 40 days. Why do you think God 
had the Holy Spirit take Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days? Well, I think it, I think it, of course, I think it's another example of uh, uh, Christ is Israel reduced to one. Just as Israel, Israel uh, failed the test that they went through 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, they failed that many times. They grumbled against God. They complained about, you know, they complained about not enough water, not enough food. And, and when God blessed them with manna, even with manna, they complained. Uh, but here, Jesus, uh, he passes the test with flying colors. He, uh, he, he, he never once gives in to Satan. That's very interesting what you said. Could you repeat that? Christ reduced to what? Uh, Christ is Israel reduced to one. Whatever Israel failed to do, Christ did it perfectly and completely. Yes. In, in fact, um, the sermon is about Jesus' temptations. And what I did uh, on Monday is I took the temptations to Eve and showed that these were the same three temptations to Jesus. Remember, the serpent says to Eve, you know, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not die. And yeah. she says, the tree looked good for food. Right. See, that was the same. And then it, it went on that would make her wise. And, of course, who can be more wise than somebody who owns the whole earth? And the devil said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you bow down and worship me. And yeah. then that uh, it looked good. And, of course, there was a teaching at the time of Jesus that the Messiah would appear on the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil said, you go to that pinnacle the top of the temple and jump down and not hurt yourself and they'll know that you're the messiah and yeah. so that would be shortened instead of going to the cross the same yeah. thing that eve did and then in the sermon you can show how we also are tempted in the th same three ways that eve and jesus were yeah another thing that satan did in both instances is uh, he distorted the scripture. Remember he asked Eve, hath God really said that you're not to eat any of the fruit of the trees in the garden? Remember how he got that wrong and, and tried to trick her that way? Hath God really said that? And, and then, she, then she clarified it. Uh, she said, no, we can eat of the fruit of the trees, but not the, not the tree in the midst of the garden. And uh, j in the same way, he, he tries to, he, he misuses scripture uh, to to uh, to tempt Jesus. Well said. That's really a good point. He's always using Scripture and misusing it. And, of course, even Eve got it wrong when she answered him. She said, right. we're not even able to touch it. Yeah, and that's I, right. I don't remember that. And no. then she said, lest we die. And less means, well, it's perhaps you will die. No, it you will die. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that because Adam and Eve continue to live. Mm -hmm. But spiritually, they died.
That's right. It was a drastic change in the relationship between them and God. And how did they recognize it after they sinned? Well, they they recognized that they were uh, naked. Yes. Now, didn't they know that ahead of time? Yeah, he, but uh, well, I I don't think I don't know if it occurred to them. But uh, all of a sudden, they realized they were they were naked, and uh, they were ashamed of their nakedness. And I'll tell you why. It's the teaching that the Bible has about the degrees of glory. Mm -hmm. When they were in the Garden of Eden, they were glorious. And it says later they lost that glory. And that's how they saw that they were naked. And what is heaven but a return to that glory that we lost? Now, our glory, it's kind of interesting, the transfiguration we did last week. And I asked the question, uh, who was glorious on the mountain? And what was the answer? Yeah, you, you actually uh, uh, <laughs> you actually corrected me a little bit. Uh, all, all three of them, Jesus yes. and Elijah and Moses, showed the glory. Yes, exactly. And that's a return. And after I preached it, there were a number in the congregation who hadn't really understood that degrees of glory. Uh, The Mormons think that that is different places you go to. Uh, The uh, celestial, which is heaven, the terrestrial, which is the new earth, and the telestial, which is the lowest level. But that's not what it's talking about. No. I know know my wife always... We always chuckle because she says, look, I don't care if I have any extra degrees of glory. I just want to make it to heaven. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm not going to be happy. the way a lot of us feel. <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to be happy if, G, if, if my wife Louise has more glory than me. <laughs> well, maybe okay, not. <laughs> There's going to be no envy in heaven. No, and that's right. We think that glory is based that God gives us certain gifts and insofar as we use them. So I asked the congregation, who's going to have more glory, a layman or a pastor? (laughs) And I said, if you answer either one, you're wrong. Because I know shut-ins that though they no longer had family with them, they would pray each day, they would read the Bible each day, and they would phone members when they found out they were ill to comfort them. Yeah. And I would say that such a shut-in had a higher degree of glory than most pastors in heaven. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes our sheep uh, put put uh, put us pastors to shame with their, uh, their great faith. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I also said... You can increase your degree of glory by thinking about it. For example, when I go see a shut-in, I don't say, well, I'm going to stay an extra 15 minutes so I have a higher degree of glory. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. No, sure. Yeah, anytime you do something at work, to do that, that's sin. Your degree of glory is a gift from God. That's right. And I've said it's... I don't know. Nobody's ever been able to answer this question. When they ask me what is degrees of glory, I say to them, okay, I'll explain that if you explain to me the difference between an angel, an archangel, and a cherubim. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there is an explanation. 
No, except that uh, the, uh, the the seraphim have six wings. We're told that. And, uh, yeah, in fact, I believe there's only two archangels, to my memory. There's, uh, uh, there's Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel. and Gabriel. We think that. Yeah. But uh, in the Apocrypha, there's a lot more angels named. How many oh, angels yes. are, are, are named in the actual Bible, though? Uh, well, that's a little tricky because there's the angel of the bottomless pit, and he's Apollyon. Yes, or if you want to count, if you want to count him, the devil uh, himself. He's he's a he's a bad angel, of course. Yes, but the the only ones that are named that we have is uh, Gabriel and Michael, Uh, except for Beelzebub, or Satan. Uh, Right, he's he's Satan. That's true. Yes. Yeah. So that's a trick question. There's always at least three angels, but Jesus there for forty days. He prayed and kept the fast, and that is to inspire repentance for our sin and free us from our past. Now, how are we not freed from the past? Well, uh, Jesus says, I will remember your sins no more. Right. And so... uh, He's, he's placed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Uh, as far as from his perspective, uh, we are saints. Our sins are no more. Our sinful past is no more. And it's not that he is not omniscient. He still remembers right. our sins. But yes. when he's talking about a not remembering, he's talking about like when you remember your wife's birthday, you gave her a gift. If you forget your wife's birthday, you don't give her a gift. So for him not to remember our sins means that he will not get even with us for our sins. Exactly. So free us from our past. And that occurs through the forgiveness of sins. All right. Uh, please read stanza two. You strove with Satan, and you won. Your faithfulness endured. Lend us your nerve, your skill, and trust in God's eternal word. Now, remember I mentioned that this hymn was specifically written for children in order to help them understand the teachings of Scripture. And this is a good example. Um, you might have to explain what the word strove means. Right. It means fought. Yes. There's a battle with Satan. And Jesus won because he did not fall into temptation. In fact, your faithfulness endured. Right. What's faithfulness there? Well, he was faithful to uh, to the plan that his father had, uh, his, his redemptive plan that God the Father had given him. He was ever faithful to that. Didn't sway from it one bit. He d- didn't 
go along with Satan and have a shortcut instead of to the no. crucifixion. Right, and he was tempted many times. In fact, probably more than the the I think there are three examples of of Satan's temptation. But you know, were, were it's probably that's not probably the only temptations that he underwent during those forty days. Well said. Even when it says Satan finally left him, it says just for a time. Yeah, because right. He, he was, boy, how many times was he tempted by the disciples? Remember oh, what oh, Peter oh. said when he, yeah. I'm going to go to Jerusalem to die. What did Peter say? No, this shall never happen to you, Lord Jesus. No, never. Yes, I will protect you. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Peter cut off the high priest's servant Malchus's ear, and Jesus said, if I wanted, I could bring down a legion of angels. That's right. Put away your sword, Peter. Yes. In fact, so, in fact he said there were 12 legions, 12 yeah, legions right. of angels at his disposal. And I forget I forget how many in the Roman army one legion was. Was it well, thousands, I think? So there were multitude of thousand angels at his beck and call any time. Yes. Centurion was over 100. And then the legion was bigger than the centurion's grasp. Right. So I find this interesting. Lend us your nerve. Now, kids may not understand what nerve means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, your, let's see, your courage, your bravery, your boldness. I think boldness maybe conveys it best. That's good. Uh, That's good. Yeah. I mean, he, he stood right up to Satan. And and note that he stood up to Satan with not with any of his divine power. You know, he he's in a state of humiliation. And that yes. that means he did not he did not use his uh divine power uh, except on rare occasions. In this case, all he uses is the word of God. In fact, that's what the last part of the verse says. His skill and trust in God's eternal word. A lot of people aren't aware of the fact that in each temptation, Jesus goes against Satan by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Right. And that's where he gets, uh, again, you get back to the point that you were making, that when Satan tempts us, he's always misusing the Bible. Right. He can give us Bible verses, and that's why it's important that people come to church and Bible study and read their Bible at home with books from Concordia Publishing House that help you understand not just what the words are saying, but the meaning of why God put this in the Bible. That's another so level. And so Satan, uh, Satan uh, he always uses the book of, uh, book of Deuteronomy in these temptations. Is that right? Jesus does, yes. Jesus uh, Jesus uh, uses the word from the book of Deuteronomy. I, right. I got you. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll read three. Though parched and hungry, yet you prayed and fixed your mind above. So teach us to deny ourselves since we have known God's love. Now, how do you understand 
By knowing God's love, we deny ourselves. What does that well, mean? I think I think of the passage: "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you." You know, in other words, we seek God's kingdom first. Our mind is on things above, not on things below, not on not on worldly things. God knows that we need some of these things. He knows that we need some money to get along in the world. He knows that we need food and and clothing and and uh, roof over our heads and that sort of things. But uh, we first and foremost we have our mind on things above, uh, seeking that's, first the kingdom of God. That's well said, because when we have our mind on other things, they're doing kind of studies on millennials today and they find out that one of the reasons that they leave the scripture is they join with other young people who are going against God's word in various areas but they li- like the companionship maybe they don't have a brother or sister or their parents ignore them so they like that then they may make some money by doing various crimes. It's just really interesting. I look a lot at YouTube, why people go to court, and what they do is so ridiculous, breaking into cars uh, to take out whatever they see, and other crimes. And why did they do that? Because Satan's giving them a desire not to deny themselves, so they deny people their possessions, and their honor. What do you think, Tom? What do you think? You, you, you know, I always find millennials uh, a real challenge to reach out to. What do you yes. think uh, What do you think they're tempted uh, by more than other things? I'm doing a study on the book of Proverbs, and Solomon begins, I'm your father, you need to listen to me, my son. And when he talks about listening, he just doesn't mean that you hear what I say, but you also obey it. In fact, the word for instruction in Proverbs is translated as discipline, because no parent ever gets a child who is not a sinner. So the teaching of the child is a lot of times how you become a disciple of Christ. And it's really fascinating going through, for example, chapter five, we just went through and it was against joining yourself with a, a woman in a sinful way. Um, that's either through adultery or fornication. And it was really quite interesting, all the bad things that happen when you do that sin that young people just aren't aware of. Because yeah. they're looking instead not to deny themselves what they think is happiness and joy, and they forget that they're digging a hole for hell. Yeah. So listening to parents, I think that's one of the most important things parents need to teach their children. Yeah. Okay. I'm reminded. I'm reminded of that of that one uh, prayer that we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's Word. Yeah, that's taken out of the new hymnal. They don't use the word digest, but digest Uh means to make it part of you. 
Right. And that's really following Proverbs. Stanza four, please. Okay. Be with us through this season, Lord, and all our earthly days, that when the final Easter dawns, we join in heaven's praise. That's a great verse. That really is. What do they mean by this season? Season of Lent. Exactly. So this is really a good Lenten hymn. But not only that God would be with us through this season, but throughout all our earthly days. Yeah, our whole life long. Exactly. And then he brings in Easter. How so? Well, he talks about not uh, Jesus' resurrection, of course, is, is, is very crucial. But he also says, and when the final Easter dawns, that's, be, that's the, the resurrection of, of all flesh on, on, the, on the last day. When the final Easter dawns, we join in heaven's praise. Which well is neat. said. You know, I, I've always been taught, and I've always stressed this to the people, you can't deny one of the resurrection and yet cling to the other one. You can't deny Jesus' resurrection and still believe in the resurrection on the last day. You can't deny the last resurrection and, uh, and, uh, and, and say yes to Jesus' resurrection. They're intimately bound up. You deny one, you deny the other. In fact, that's very close to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Right. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus hasn't risen. That's right. And if he hasn't risen, what does Paul say? You are Our still in vain. dead You're still in, in your sins. Sin. Yes. Yeah. That's really, really critical. And so that first verse, and free us from our past, would not have occurred. Well, guess what? We're fortunate there's only four verses because <laughs> we're out of time. Out of time. Yeah. Thank you very much, Pastor Mark Smith. And I'm also using this hymn at the four congregations I'll be at, O oh Lord, throughout these 40 days. And we're beginning then with Ash Wednesday on Wednesday night uh, for six weeks, followed by, of course, the great Easter that we're coming to. I'm Tom Baker on Tomorrow's Long Gospel. We'll continue with the study of the book of Proverbs. Until then, Pastor Mark Smith, I, Tom Baker, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.